Welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm Peter Clotty on this live broadcast from Studio 14. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan and Sudan this Monday, January 1st, 2024. The head of the Catholic Church in South Sudan calls on the country's leaders to ensure the coming elections proceed without any hindrance. Uh, our churches as a ecumenical movement, we have agreed that the church will have to do a lot of work in order to contestize the people in South Sudan in regard to this election at the end of 2024. The Sudanese civilian leadership body plans to meet with Rapid Support Forces or RSF leader Mohamed Hamdan Daglu in the Ethiopian capital Addis Ababa today, Monday, January 1st. I think uh, MIT, the head of the Rapid Support Forces, will try to get a maximum of PR mileage out of the meeting to pose as the commander who is concerned about civilian protection, humanitarian access, and uh, an end to the war. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan In Focus. The Archbishop of the Catholic Church in South Sudan says the country's leaders will be held accountable if the December 2024 elections fail to take place on time. Cardinal Stephen Ameyu says voters need to be given an opportunity to elect their own leaders. My colleague John Tanza sat down with Cardinal Ameyu at his residence in the South Sudanese capital, Juba, to talk about issues close to the hearts of South Sudanese. I, I told several people that uh, this election has been already planned almost uh, after the signing of a revitalized peace agreement. Uh, it entails that the, the end of the implementation will be uh, that of a democratic election uh, in the country wide. 2023 was quite a tough year for a lot of people in this city. And I know I don't have to emphasize on this because these people talk to you every day. What is going to be your message for 2024 that will give hope to these people? Uh, our churches as a ecumenical movement, we have agreed that the church will have to do a lot of work in order to contestize the people in South Sudan in regard to this election at the end of 2024. First of all, it is important that the church plays a very great role from the moral point of view. It helps people to understand how they have to behave in regard to election. And so from the moral point of view, we wish that our people be really have to understand democracy, how democracy brings leaders who are selected by the people and after the selection no one will have to be disgruntled because the majority have spoken and I hope that from the moral point of view we will help people to understand it is not a tribal election, it is not a regional election, it is for the whole nation all the 64 tribes of South Sudan will participate 
in this election and select their leaders to represent them in the presidency, in the executive body, and also in the parliament, and also in the judiciary. We hope so. Talk to me about the implementation of the 2018 peace agreement. The signatories to the peace deal extended the transitional government for two years, rather, and uh, they are still struggling to implement this agreement. What is the church doing to make sure that these people implement the agreement on time to avoid another crisis in this country? Each individual has a part to play in order to make South Sudan peaceful, in order to reconcile, individuals have to reconcile, and above all, the leaders must show the image of reconciliation. They must be the first people to come together. Remember the, the, what the Holy Father said. He said to uh, our president and the vice president, you must be together because the more people see you together, sharing meetings together, going together, I think people will see that peace has come to the nation. And so togetherness means sharing, uh, sharing uh, any, any political issue in a very amicable way, in a friendly way. In that way, people can understand that these people have reconciled. And it is a role of the church always to, uh, to tell uh, the leaders of the country, please, we do not like to go back to the war. And so the leaders must also confess that uh, uh, they are not ready to go back to war. And I am convinced that uh, uh, the president have already uh, mentioned this several times. I hope that it stands for us. Yeah. And your eminence, Cardinal Ameo, you said reconciliation and peace building is a collective responsibility, and it starts with an individual. Looking at the situation in this country, a lot of people are casting doubt mm -hmm. that uh, the 2024 December elections might not take place due to several reasons. Who should be blamed if they fail to go to the polls? Uh, if the leaders are prepared to receive, uh, to, to implement the, the last part of this revitalized agreement, all everybody will be ready to do it in a very friendly way, and it will bring us really more stability in the country. And uh, I know that South Sudanese uh, are always uh, sought uh, as people who are not uh, very active. And I know uh, we are very active people. When we are given a task, people can do it in a very short time and well, like the visit of the Holy Father. People doubted whether the Holy Father was going to come to South Sudan. We are given a short time. So we, 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 we did within two months' time, we prepare for the uh, coming of the Holy Father, according to his impression. This was the best visit of, uh, of his visit in, 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 in all the countries. Uh, the thing turned out to be better. So likewise for this election, I hope that the, 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 the parties should prepare their constituency and should at least advocate a kind of peace, advocate a kind of uh, uh, understanding, educate their their uh, constituencies in that way. I think the election will uh, will be accomplished well. 
And uh, just a final question. If there is one message you want to pass to the people of South Sudan, and including Sudan that is ailing, what would that message be? War will never bring us any good at all. We have not gained from war anything. Destruction of life, a destruction of property. And so I would also advise our Sudanese neighbors that uh, we cannot build a nation through war, through conquest, or through subduing other people. We must respect ourselves. Even if the smallest tribe must be respected, this is what we call inadequate tolerance, and it helps us to grow together. We have one destiny. We have one nation, and in that way, that one nation should share whatever is there for them. Cardinal Stephen Ameyu is the Archbishop in South Sudan. He spoke with my colleague John Tanza from the capital, Juba. Six people, including a senior local administrator, were killed by armed men in the Abia region claimed by both Sudan and South Sudan. Reuters says rival factions of the Dinka ethnic group Twik Dinka from South Sudan's neighboring Warab state and Ngok Dinka from Abia are locked in a dispute over the location of an administrative boundary in the oil-rich region. Government officials say an Abia deputy chief administrator and his team came under attack along the road from Abia to Anit town where they were returning from an unofficial visit to Ramama County. The attack reportedly killed a driver, two bodyguards, and two people working for national security. The information minister for Abia administrative area blamed the Sunday evening attack on armed youth from Twig County of Warab State and said the bodies had not been retrieved as of Monday morning. The Sudanese civilian leadership body called the Coordination of Civic Democratic Forces is expected to meet today, January 1st, with Rapid Support Forces or RSF leader Mohamed Hamdan Daglu in Addis Ababa. The Sudan Tribune Online reports Sunday that the group will be held by former Prime Minister Abdallah Hamdok to discuss how to protect civilians in the ongoing conflict. Suleiman Baldo is the director of Sudan Transparency and Policy Tracker. He tells viewers James Batty that it will be a major achievement and public relations stunt for the RSF if the group is able to get concessions from the RSF. I think uh, MAT, the head of the Rapid Support Forces, will try to get a maximum of PR mileage out of the meeting to pose as the commander who is concerned about civilian protection, humanitarian access, and uh, an end to the war. This is the, the points on which uh, the civilian coalition is trying to uh, demands to Hamidi and to Al-Burhan as well. The civilian delegation is also expected to ask Hamidi to release thousands of civilians who are detained by the Rapid Support Forces. I don't know whether the Rapid Support Forces will comply with that request, uh, but if they do, it will be a major achievement for the coalition and a PR stunt for the Rapid Support Forces. The fact of the matter, Rapid Support Forces uh, have been a major perpetrator of human rights violation. They have been ignoring uh, international human rights and humanitarian law, causing much of the destruction and of the violations that are occurring uh, in the context uh, of the current uh, ongoing war in Sudan.
in part to a large extent with the Sudan Armed Forces who have been involved mostly in indiscriminate uh, aerial uh, attacks on areas held by the rebel support forces with total disregard to collateral damage uh, among uh, civilians. So many efforts have been made to end the Sudan conflict. What do you expect will come out of it? I don't think the civilian delegation will uh, achieve an end to the war. This is what is expected to be the object of the discussion in the meeting between uh, Al-Burhan, the head of the Sudanese army, and uh, Himeti, the head of the rapid support forces. However, the civilian delegation is going to ask for, um, you know, civilian protection, humanitarian access, and, uh, you know, an end to the war so that a civilian-led democratic transition could occur in, in the country. So in a sense, the meeting is still, is still very important, even if they don't find a, a solution to end the conflict. It's not going to end the conflict, definitely not. But it can uh, help alleviate the burden and, and the uh, cost for uh, civilians from this destructive conflict. The civil uh, democratic forces have also addressed the same request to Burhan to meet with him. They have not yet received a response from the army, but they said they are in discussion with senior commanders of the Sudan Armed Forces. Thank you so much again, sir. Uh, Let me say Happy New Year to you. Thank you for having me and Happy New Year to you and your listeners. Suleiman Baldo is the director of Sudan Transparency and Policy Tracker. He spoke with viewers James Batty. And you are listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Democratic Republic of Congo is bracing for either core challenges or protests after leading opposition candidates rejected the result of the December 20 elections. The country's Electoral Commission, or CNE, announced Sunday that President Felix Chisikedi has won a second five-year term with 73.34% of the vote. His closest rival was Moise Katumbi with 18%. Martin Fayulu, who claims to have won the 2018 elections, received 5%. The losing candidates have rejected the results and called for protests. Reporter Alkanti Sabiti Jafar in the eastern DRC city of Goma tells James Batty, people are there People there are happy about President Chisekede's victory because of his campaign promise to end the conflict in the east. Here in North Kivu and in many cities of the Eastern of Democratic Republic of Congo, people are enjoying this victory. Not only members of his political party, but a lot of citizens in Eastern Congo were supporting Felix Tshisekedi. And, you know, uh, when campaigning, the President Tshisekedi was accusing Rwanda and was saying he will fight against Rwanda so that the Eastern Congo gets peace, and this is what made a lot of people in Eastern Congo, especially here in Goma, take President Tisekedi as the best person to lead DRC in the second five years. 
what do you think uh, went wrong, Jaffa, especially for uh, Mr. Fayulu, who claimed to have won the 2018 elections? He received uh, just 5% of the vote, according to uh, Seni. I don't think there was something wrong with Mr. Fayulu this time. First of all, we must know that even in 2018, uh, there was not a Fayulu candidate. Fayulu was the candidate of the opposition. And behind him, there was Moise Katumbi, uh, Jean-Pierre Bemba, Adolfo Mozito. There was biggest politicians of Congo who were not able to participate on the election regarding the problem they had with the Congolese justice and uh, the case of Jean-Pierre Bemba with the international justice. So all of those people called their members of political party to vote for Fayulu at the last election. But this time... Fayulu was himself. So Fayulu lost all the support what he got last time. That's why this time he didn't have even 10%. Of course, uh, with so many candidates, uh, the question becomes, uh, would the opposition have won if they had rallied behind a single candidate? Exactly. If opposition had only one candidate, he could maybe get more voices than President Tshisekedi, but uh, unfortunately, that's what they didn't do. We hear that Fayulu and other candidates, opposition candidates, are going to challenge the results. What should we expect? Three days ago, Moise Katumbi, via his ex-account, said that he won't attack election at the constitutional courts because he's not trusting on the judge at the constitutional court. So he called on people to take their destiny on hand and push President Chisekedi to leave because he didn't organize good election. And today, just after the proclamation, Martin Fayolo did the same. He called people to go on street and to push President Chisekedi to reorganize good election so that Congolese people can vote their president. Al Katanti Sabiti Jafai is a reporter in the Eastern DRC city of Goma. He spoke with viewers James Party. Israel is expressing dissatisfaction with South Africa's decision to file a case at the UN's International Court of Justice over the ongoing conflict in Gaza, alleging a breach of Israel's obligations to the Genocide Convention in the conflict with Hamas. South Africa initiated the case at the Hague Base Court, but Israel rejects the allegation, calling it baseless and a blood libel. I spoke with Ibrahim Harvey. He is a South African author and political analyst. The uh, Hamas attack, no doubt, carnage committed by them on the 7th of October. But the retaliation of Israel in general, there's been no discriminate response and retaliation. The entire Gaza has suffered. It's in the light of that, but don't forget that South Africa was already fed up with what had been happening, and that's why they ejected the Israeli ambassador from Pretoria. And they ended their relations, even no formal relations with Israel, until they would, there's a ceasefire. Israel has strongly rejected the allegation, calling it a baseless. Now, the question I'm asking you is, South Africa offered itself to be a mediator yes. to try to resolve this conflict. So how does it present itself as a mediator on one hand, and on the other hand, approach the international court accusing Israel of 
quote genocidal act. I think South Africa was morally uh, compelled to take that it, the action that it took, and you must not see it necessarily as a contradiction of its attempts to conciliate and its willingness to engage in conciliation to bring it into the ceasefire. But that is what Israel doesn't want together with its major battle with the United States. Well, there's been a slight shift in America's uh, stance. You can see that it's affecting them. The global uh, protests, unprecedented, you know, supporting Israel and against the state of Israel uh, has, has, has affected, no doubt, the foreign policy uh, to some extent, but not sufficient to, to support the ceasefire. This is what the main thing that everybody is calling for in the light of the carnage and the overwhelming destruction. It's unprecedented. What is happening in Gaza has never happened, I believe, in any war situation ever, arguably. I think it's mistaken in anyone's analysis to draw the conclusion that it's a contradiction. It's a very difficult situation, and South Africa is trying to navigate it, I think, as best as possible. The International Court of Justice, based in The Hague, settles disputes between states and gives advisory opinions on international legal issues. Some analysts are telling me, uh, what does South Africa seek to achieve? by going there, especially when the opinions and rules by the court is routinely not observed or implemented by members of the U.S. Yes. yes. Well, you see, this is the thing. That should tell you something, that usually the decisions of the court is not in any case observed. So given that historical record and background, that not much has come out of the decisions which the court has taken. It just shows you how, how desperately South Africa has been, despite that record, that it still makes largest this application. Uh, effectively, behind this demand is a ceasefire. You see, the, 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 the South Africa is not drawing a distinction. They're seeing it as simultaneous. And it's against that background, really, that you have to see this decision by South Africa to go to the to the International Court of Justice to attempt, despite that that uh, that record, you know, uh, when many countries have ignored the decisions of the court. A spokesman for Israel's Foreign Affairs Ministry said South Africa's claim constitutes despicable and contemptuous exploitation of the court. Other analysts are also saying that this appears to be a publicity stunt there to embarrass not only the court but the international community. Your take? No, no, I don't think it's, I reject that interpretation, you know. I think South Africa has felt compelled, you must remember, South Africa has been always, from the time of Mandela and before that even, has always supported the Palestinian struggle. You have to understand that historical record of, of the ANC's gravitation towards the Palestinians. And you know, you can see when Mandela was sworn in as president, uh, Yasser Arafat was invited. So the links between ANC and the Palestinians goes deep and wide and long. And you have to understand that context also within which uh, the ANC has given uh, the Palestinian struggle consistent support. You know, I think the global community who's maybe uh, dissatisfied with the stance that South Africa has taken doesn't appreciate that background. It's very, very important, you know, uh, because the struggles that we raised in South Africa is in many respects similar to the struggles that Palestinians have waged against the state of Israel.
Ibrahim Harvey is a South African author and political analyst. He spoke with me from Cape Town, South Africa. Now we bring you reflections on 2023 and greetings and best wishes for 2024 from some of our listeners. Should old acquaintances be Beauty Katebe of Lusaka, Zambia. 2023 has been a very impactful year on me and my household. All my children, it has been a very positive year. My wish for 2024 is that the government quickly manages to arrest the devaluation of the quacha so that people can be given a breathing space because they've been going through economical challenges. I just want to wish all the listeners a happy 2024. Thank you. Hi, Jamis. I'm Kenny Wani David from South Sudan. Mary. Christmas and prosperous New Year. We are very happy and very glad with all information and news that we are getting from Voice of America. So we are wishing you Merry Christmas and prosperous New Year. So you continue with all information that you are feeding us in South Sudan. Thank you. Thank you very much. in South Africa, especially when we are looking economically, it was a very challenging year for a lot of people and also with the uncertainties of what's happening in the country, it's been uh, more than uh, difficult, but uh, I guess with some positivity going around we have managed to somehow go through it, yeah. I'm Lassana Luna from Morovia Liberia. I would like to extend this season greetings to my family in and out of Liberia, I thank you all. May the God Almighty bless us all. From the city of Douala, which is the economic capital of Cameroon, I want to wish Merry Christmas in Arias and a prosperous New Year to the staff and management of Voice of America who has been reporting accurately about Africa and their reporting is helping grow democracy in Africa. However, this concluding year 2023 wasn't a good one for Africa, especially in West Africa, where we have noticed a merry-go-round of coup d'etats. However, for next year 2024, my wish will be that peace should return to the entire African continent, liberal democracy should grow, and that in my country, Cameroon, genuine peace should return, and genuine peace comes with genuine, unconditional dialogue, and also 
for it to happen that various actors need to have love because if there is love peace will reign happy new year to the voice of america and to all of the african continent and to all the world You've been listening to Reflections on 2023 and greetings and best wishes for 2024 from some of our listeners. And that's all we have for you this Monday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. I'm your host, Peter Cote in Washington. On behalf of our producer, Gwen Uten, and engineer, Mr. Chang, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Remember to join us again tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. America. Good evening, South Sudan.